So you light bold red wine most of the time With notes of fig and raisin You like a cold brew and pitching horseshoes As the sun is fading You like football games and dishing out nicknames The Godfather's one and two But not so fast, we got them podcast We like that too we like that too. We like that too. We like that too. We like that too. Hey, Bon Vivants, welcome back to the We Like That Too podcast. I'm Brad Jones, and of course, joining me is the head Bon Vivant himself, Mr. Keith Inlow. Welcome, everybody. Glad to have you back. We are not in the Bon Vivant International Media Center, no. we are at Chateau. In low, <laughs> and there's an, there's a reason we're yes. at Chateau in low because we have had quite the wine experience. Which, we have. We're going to talk about which it. We'll today. get to in a minute. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was fun. We've actually had quite a few fun experiences. Lately. We've had stuff going on. Yeah. Hey, we got down with our bad selves. Oh my god! Last week we got to talk about this. The Earth, Wind, and Fire. Earth, Wind, and Fire. Ladies and gentlemen, for those of you Bon Vivants who are in the same generation that we are and grew up with that music, these guys threw it down. <laughs> well, you said the bass player is 72. Yeah, he's 72. And the, the other two original members are in that same uh, generation. Yeah, and even though a, f- a couple of those guys I found out aren't necessarily the originals, they've like been with the band since right. the late 80s or well, there something. Were, they there were still three. They introduced three time. that were original, and then the other guys, the, you know, the horn section, yeah. Oh, none yeah. of those guys were spring chickens. No, they and weren't. And they have been with the band a long time. But the, the three kind of front guys... They were um, incredible, especially that bass that player. Bass player. He's just, you know, he, Verdeen White, I believe is his Verdeen, name. And Verdeen. this dude, you know, he doesn't sing. He's not even miked to sing or anything. He can sing. I saw him doing some backup stuff, but he's the front man. Oh, there's no question. You know, that bass line drives all of their music. Bon Vivants, they started playing and they did not stop. They didn't do a lot of talking in between songs. Nope. They would move flawlessly and seamlessly. From one song to the other, for what? It was close to two hours. It was, about, it was, it was a good ninety minutes. Yeah, yeah, and it was uh, it wasn't as much a concert as it was a party. Well, I mean, it was it, really it was, was certainly a production. Their oh, production values were oh, great, yeah, yeah. and it was a show. And that music is all choreographed. They're not just standing up there and standing still playing. They're dancing and moving and. Moving to the grooving, man. It, it was it was a great show on a big stage. On a big so stage. We're, we were at the Ozark Amphitheater, That's the which is uh, about, just a, yeah. which just is in Camdenton, which is just a scooch south of the Lake of the Ozarks. Right. Beautiful facility. Great facility, interesting history on that facility, and yeah. and that's a little teaser because um, Keith and I also went to an event there last week, right? And we got uh, to meet the uh, proprietors. We met a lot of people, yeah. and you're going to hear a lot from some of those. Fo- that yeah. was a party. Let yeah, me that tell was you, a party. it was a beautiful, beautiful event. Yeah, well done. Lo profile. Yeah, uh, who you write for? I'm a I'm a freelance uh, writer for them, and yeah, but we're gonna we're gonna talk more about Ozark Amphitheater and the history of it, what it's been through. We got to know the proprietors and the, the people who run the place. And so they but, were kind of excited about maybe coming on the podcast. I think so. But wasn't it fun standing on that stage? It was fun. Thinking yeah. that just a few nights before that, oh, man. Earth, Wind, and Fire and they were... They had some great acts were, that have come through there. They really have. And yeah. they've got some more good ones coming up for, so the, for we, the rest yeah, of the fall. Yeah, we got that to look forward to, Bon Vivants. That was a lot of fun. Um, we've got a double header we coming got, up in a few weekends. We are Bon Vivanting. Yeah. We are. In next, yeah, we got we're, two of them coming up. We're doing Three Dog Night. And then we're the next night, we're doing Killer Queen, which is apparently a really top notch queen tribute band yep i've heard nothing but good about them so we're we're doing it right this summer that's right all right take our vitamins so today's topic is it's wine it's a wine show definitely this is is, uh yeah this is not this is not one bottle no this (laughs) this this is is, five five bottles bottles. and let's explain what we did uh i'll give you a little background in fact it was actually mr matt green proprietor of Barvino, Bar Whiskey, beautiful downtown Jefferson City, and sponsor of the show, who usually provides our bottles. But Matt Green turned my wife and I on to a Zinfandel made by the Biale family called Black Chicken. And it's just a wonderful Zinfandel. Now, this is not white Zinfandel 
ladies and gentlemen. This is deep, dark red ruby dry wine, which is what Zinfandel really is. I started collecting some different vintages. And I looked in my wine closet one day and noticed that I had uh, accumulated about six different vintages. And I thought, let's do a vertical tasting sometime. Now, explain what a vertical tasting is, Brad. It, well, a vertical is when you take, in this case, five different vintages of the same wine and you taste them all. You try them all out. So, yeah. And much to your credit, this is not an easy thing to do. Well, I'm not very patient, first of all. It's well, hard to the hold them and not drink can, them. The fact that you can hold anything longer than two months, you know, is, yeah, know. is, is an amazing thing. Let's keep my personal <laughs> life out of it. <laughs> but we, but you did, uh, and you managed to find uh, 16, 17, 18, 19, and 20. That's correct. We had So we had five different vintages uh, in that range that Brad just mentioned. The idea is you open them all up. You pour everybody a, a glass of each. We had 12 friends around, uh, so we split each bottle 12 ways. I was a little concerned about the amount of the pour, but it turned out it was a nice sample of each wine. It's a little, it was a little chemistry class there. It was. In, we, in, had in pouring, we had a pouring. We had, uh, yeah, Brad helped me uh, pour. <laughs> we, had, we had a method, and it worked. And it was enough to taste each one adequately. Uh, it was about an, it was about what you what you would get an average wine tasting. Yeah. Oh yeah. Know, well, maybe yeah. maybe actually a little yeah. more. So uh, we just went down the road. We started. We gave everybody some tasting notes. And uh, but before we get into what people's impressions were and what our impressions were, let's talk a little bit about Bialy, the winery itself, and the history. Because this this winery has quite a history, especially when it comes to Napa Valley California wine. It's pretty historic, and it's certainly and the name is fun. The, the name, name is has, fun. The name definitely has a fun story. And it has a story behind it. Black chicken. The Bialy family is uh, they are the premier Zinfandel in Napa Valley. Uh, I said one of the most well known, and Matt Matt corrected me and said no, not one of. They are the 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 family for famous. Uh, Zinfandel in Napa Valley. The story goes that uh, the Bialys settled in Napa Valley and they were they were ranchers, farmers and ranchers. Grapes were one of the things they grew, but they were not necessarily winemakers. And of course, like many of the Napa Valley vineyards, they got devastated by prohibition. So about nineteen thirty seven, a couple of years after Prohibition ended, Pietro Bialy started growing grapes again and started dabbling in wine, but he was mostly just a farmer and rancher selling produce and stuff. But it was depression. He couldn't make enough money to uh, feed his family just off of that. So he went to work in a local quarry. Now, unfortunately, in a quarry truck accident, he lost his life. But his son, 13-year-old Aldo, who had to support the family and work with his mother, took over the place. Aldo learned how to make Zinfandel from his uncle and started making Zinfandel. Now, even though Prohibition was over, sort of like the bootleggers in the South, they wanted to keep it under the radar to keep tax, you know, away from the taxes from the, the, uh, the G-men. This you know. was a cash business. The revenueers. Yes. This was a cash business. And, and the Bialy farm was not only known for their produce, but they had, uh, I guess hundreds, literally hundreds of these white leghorn chickens that they would sell the eggs and the chickens for, uh, poultry meat. Well, when the neighbors all found out that Aldo was making this really good Zinfandel, it got popular and he started taking orders. But in order to stay under the radar, because they were on a party line, the phones were on a party line. Everybody's business was everybody's business. People could listen in. Yeah. So the, the Zinfandel code was they would call up and order a black chicken. And that was code for, I want some, I want a jug of wine. So that's where the Zinfandel, the Bialy Black Chicken Zinfandel got its name. I think that's just a funny, funny story. Well, and I don't think it's uncommon either. I oh, think, no. I think when you and I have looked at some of the stories of what, how people made it in, uh, in Kentucky and whatnot, I think there were probably some other code words that were used for your, uh, for your pint of bourbon or whatever that, <laughs> no uh, doubt about that, it. Got, that got mixed in with your eggs and your butter and your milk and everything. And you, you know, likewise, I'm not sure that some of those names didn't make it to current labeling and, and names of products nowadays. This you know? one, this one did. Yeah, this one did. So, <laughs> so anyway, it's a, it's a fun story about Bialy. And then, and then, uh, Aldo, you know, carried on the family name. And then Robert Bialy is the current head of the family. And Robert was really instrumental. We've talked about 
bottle shock and that story of uh, the Barretts and all those people in Napa back in the late 60s, early 70s that really brought California wine to the forefront. Well, Robert Bialy was one of those people and uh, a founding father of California wine and still runs the business today with with um, some family members and a lot of a really good team. And I want to thank some of the wine educators at uh, Bialy. They really helped me put together some some uh, information on each of these vintages. But it was a fun event. You know, we we just sat and enjoyed and had a lot of good food to pair with it. We and, had our favorite winos. And yeah. we use that yeah. as a term of endearment That's here right. on the We Like That too, a bunch podcast. Of too. And uh, you, you know, I've got to thinking about this, Keith. This is the second time that we've gotten to do a vertical because when we went down to Stone Hill, uh, remember yes. we did, uh, we did a vertical we did. Uh, down at Stone Hill in Herman, Missouri. That's and right. And so you can go back and find that episode. And, uh, that was fun. That was fun. With the too. winemaker at Stone Hill. With the really winemaker. Really interesting guy. Yeah. Really cool guy. And, uh, yeah, that was a three bottle. That was a three year vintage vertical, but yeah, still a lot of fun. I encourage you Bon Vivants out there who, uh, like to drink wine, try this kind of thing because it is noticeable from the moment I opened these bottles. I certainly could tell the difference with the nose. I did open them just logistically to tell you kind of how I did it. I opened them a couple of hours before we poured them. And then you and I uh, poured them maybe an hour, 30 minutes before party arrived and, it, it, and we started it, I'll tasting. tell you what, you got to uh, find good friends that have a lot of glasses if you do oh, it this if you do it this way and thank you Matt Green we we borrowed glasses <laughs> and so it's <laughs> so get a get a friend to help pour those because yeah. that's going to take you a little yeah, while it doesn't happen quickly but uh so what were your impressions you know just overall when when we you kind of went through the progression of and we'll talk about each vintage here in a minute but what were your impressions of of the uh, the wine, what what you were tasting, the, the differences, the nuances. Well, what you know, one thing that as as you were discussing the Bialys, you know, one thing that's that's interesting is that they chose to grow Zen because so much of even back then that they they were still growing was Cabernet and Merlot and Zen. I don't think was probably number one on the hit parade as far as grapes. Not the, back then. Back then. It is a hardy grape, though. It's a hardy so it's grape. pretty, it's, it, it can withstand a lot of things. So that's to the grower's advantage, certainly. Well, let me read this thing because this kind of gives, I, I like this quote. Yeah. I, I like this. This is from, uh, Dave Premack. That's kind of poetic. Isn't yeah, it, it is. It says, this is the new age for Zinfandel. We know now that Zinfandel is an ancient grape whose origin was along the Adriatic coast and goes back centuries in Central Europe. Old vines and historic sites in California that have been overlooked and underappreciated are enjoying new respect among wine students and wine lovers. We in our peer group of devout Zinfandel winemakers are taking this old California classic to new heights. We all know that Zinfandel, when treated expertly on proven historic sites, produces red wines that are loaded with character that hold their own among the world's more famous European varieties. And let's just say it, Zinfandel provides more smiles per bottle than any other red wine, period. Yeah, so, you know, doesn't that make you happy? It does. And I tell you what, and Dave <laughs> is one of the executives at Bialy Black Chicken, okay. so he's, he's passionate about it, and you can tell. I do think Zinfandel is underrated and underappreciated. I really do. And it has a certain characteristic all its own. They also do um, Petite Syrah at Bialy. And so, and they, they do a dessert wine. Matt brought a Bialy dessert wine. We that got was a chance. Lovely. Well, and of course, any table that your wife sets will have chocolates of some oh, kind. My gosh. So I went over and got a couple of those really dark chocolates and took just a little bite and then took a little sip yes. of the uh, dessert wine. Yes. Paired beautifully. You know, some of the things, let's talk about what to pair with Zinfandel. I looked online and, and there were quite a, a wide variety of things that pair well with Zinfandel. Certainly smoked meats came up over and over again, both beef, pork, and turkey. Kind of surprised me that turkey, but we... We're lucky to have sweet smoked barbecue. We had sweet smoked barbecue. Big we John some, Biggs does the best smoked turkey around. So we right. had some really nice smoked meats. We had uh, some charcuterie and some really rich cheeses, uh, which paired nicely. And then uh, the other thing that they recommended was pasta sauce, red pasta sauces, meaty pizzas, that kind of thing. So that that Italian spicy acidic 
uh, tomato type sauce. So we had a pretty good uh, spread of things to pair with it. The guys from Bialy actually re- recommended that while we were tasting the flight, not to overload our palate with food at first. So we simply did a little palate cleanser with some crostini and, and olive oil. And, it was and perfect, everything. though. It was. It was perfect. You you ate a little bit, piece of bread and a yeah. little bit of that olive oil, and it did. It just kind of cleaned your mouth out, and you were ready for the next for It the was next really round. amazing it, how that worked. It I worked was, really well. I was pleasantly surprised. It worked surprised. really well. It the, worked really the other well. Thing, yeah, the other thing you need to know about Bialy is they all of these wines, when poured in the glass, you couldn't hardly tell a difference in the look. The 2016 was a little bit paler, but that's a sign of age. They lose some of their color. and um, But they're all made the same way. They're very traditional, and they're very consistent in the way they make each of them. It's the growing seasons and what happens with the climate at each season that makes them different. And, of course, age in the bottle. Well, and you mentioned it, too. 16 was, of the five, probably – you know, and the and the fact that it's first out of the gate, that's always that's always hard for any wine or you know I've got my theories about competition. The I've first. got my theories about sixteen and, and we should talk about that. I did want to say though that Oak the Oak Knoll district is where most of these Zinfandel grapes came from on Bialy's property. So uh, that's sort of the, the terroir in the region we're talking about. Yeah, so let's talk about the vintages. So two thousand sixteen. I think because, you know, I, I tag most of my wines that I'm going to try and hold to get a an optimal drinking window. When I pulled the 2016 out, I noticed on the tag the optimal drinking window ended in 2022. Now, it's just one year later. But I think everyone agreed we may have missed its optimal. We may have missed it by a year. By a year. Yeah. It was still, it's, you know, any one of these wines also, we agreed that you open them by themselves and pour them for your guests. Everybody's going to say this is an outstanding wine. But when you line them up and compare them side by side, I think we all agreed that 2016 had lost some of its fruit flavor. It and, and that's the first thing to go with age also. Yeah, it was a little higher in acid, and that's a sign of age also. So no surprises there. Again, still a really good wine, but comparatively speaking, I think 2016, we may have we may have missed the mark on it. Well, um, you know what? And that's okay. Sure, it's okay. Because if you want – you know, we said, what if we got five wines here that all taste exactly alike? It's – If nothing else, not. it's a learning experience. <laughs> Don't hold your wine too long. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Yeah. Drink it. Don't buy green yeah. bananas. That's yeah, right. That's right. So the one thing about the 2016 um, vintage that uh, some of the notes that they did send us was it was a it was a growing season that was near perfect. Uh, ideal weather conditions, rel- relatively steady, uh, mild July and August, and then a series of warm days at the end of the growing season, um, which really helped progress their ripeness. It wrapped up beautifully. Fall rainstorms. So it was that's that was a 2016 harvest. Still a very very good wine. It was a good wine. Yeah. But then you um, ju- then you went to 17. Yeah. And you could just look at it and tell it was just a little bit darker. It, you know, on the nose it was I, a little more fruit. I think it had the fruitiest nose of all of them. Even even the even though the 20 and we'll get there may have been a bigger fruit flavor. Yeah. On the nose I think I think the 17 had the biggest fruit on the nose. And I don't know if that was just because you just had the 16. Could be. Uh, but it was, but it was, I, I really liked the 17. I, I, I put it in my top two and not did everybody too. did, but I like 17 a lot. Well, you know, we went through them in a progression, but then we all saved enough to go back and compare sure. side that, by side. So it wasn't and, always just in order. And that's the we way, went up and down. And the, that's the, the way Bombi Vance, if you're going to do, if you're going to do a, a vertical like that, make sure everybody just does doesn't guzzle down all of the first one, all of yes. the, you know, leave a little bit in the glass for all of them and then go back because that's right. That's kind of the fun. That was really when it was fun. I mean, it was fun to go through them in order, but then going back later and comparing them side by side and hopping and skipping around really gave you a, a nice comparison. And, to, change to your, and we'll change your mind. For, oh, yes. For sure. Well, you can say, well, I thought, I thought that third one was the best until I drank the fifth one. And then, you know, then I was like, well, I don't know. Then the fourth one yeah. was, is better. Well, even the 2016, whom that may have been a little disappointing coming out after it was in the glass for 20 minutes, everyone agreed it mellowed out. It was much better. And so time in the glass, again, we're not very patient wine drinkers most of the time. 
But time in the glass makes a huge difference uh, in how your wine reacts. So uh, the 2017, again, big note. I got a big fruity nose off of 2017. I really liked it. Um, The growing season started out uh, a wet winter. So there was plenty of moisture for the vines. Oh, and by the way, some of these, these are old vines. Some of these vines are planted in the 1880s. Yeah, these go back a long way. And if way. you look at some of the old world Zen vines, they look like something out of Dr. Seuss. They're yeah. the wildest looking because they they're just gnarly. let them go. They yeah. don't mess with yeah, them. They're, they're just all gnarled up. They got yeah. big old knots on them. Yeah. But apparently this wet winter and the moisture in the soil made for a vigorous canopy and a, a healthy crop load. Summer temperatures were above ag- average, and uh, but then there were a series of heat spikes at the end of the growing season, which kind of pushed um, the ripeness at the end of the growing season. So, um, you know, heat, moisture, warm air, cool air, sun, all that affects the difference in how grapes, the bud break, um, how they, they ripen, all that kind of stuff. How soon they have to pick. We talked about that a little bit. Didn't you say um, that one of these they they picked uh, the first of August? Wasn't we there? did, but that was not seventeen. No, we it wasn't. Did. There was an early was harvest one, one year like, because of the, the conditions. And that's yeah. that's really early. Yeah, that's pretty early. So, but seventeen was good. What what do you remember? Any of the comments about seventeen that you liked? Um, it, a lot of people said it was floral. It it, it, it had a floral uh, it, it, nose to it. It was much more. It it had much more of a. a <laughs> A grapey smell. Yeah, yeah that's, you can tell it's wine by its boy, grapey yeah, smell. You can, yeah, you can tell by its grapeness. <laughs> but it, it it was much more apparent that the, the nose on that was so much better than 16. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it had more depth to it. And it had more depth on the palate, too. It did. Longer finish. Yeah, so. And then, so then we moved on to 18. They were really proud of the 18. This was an idea. They, in fact, they called it. Let me see if I can ideal weather conditions yeah so this was a good vintage seamless season of heavenly hang time and phenomenal philonic development is that not poetic that's very poetic abundant rains in february lots of filtered light in this early spring bud break and flowering occurred a bit late but under ideal condition a plentiful fruit set summer brought generous sun in the day and cooler marine influences at night with no uh, major heat spikes. So it was pretty consistent. The yield was like 20 to 30% better on uh, higher than normal on this crop. So wow. really good growing season on 18. 18 was good. 18, 18 was, a, it was a really, really good one. It was a fan favorite. It too. was a fan favorite. Uh, I think it and 20 were probably the two that uh, got the most votes. It had the depth, it had the finish. I mean, it stayed on your palate a long time, and it coated your mouth. A little bit of tannin, little bit of tannin, just enough. Well balanced. That's I think that's one of the notes I made is perfect balance between fruit and acid and tannin and and body. Just uh, just a really fine wine. So 2018, if you can find it out there, black chicken, and drink it now. It's ready to go. Yeah, it was good. What was the one that you had uh, You had a little bit of trouble finding? So that's a great segue to 2019. And I'm not sure why. Somebody suggested it was because of some wildfires out there, but I don't remember exactly how that would have affected 2019. They may be correct. But I had trouble finding the 2019 vintage. Either it sold quickly or it was a smaller production and didn't get to us as much. Even Matt had to send somebody on a seek and destroy mission to to find a bottle for me. Um, but that was the one that I was kind of waiting for to round out the total flight. Um, the 19 was, uh, it says, long, warm summer, mild finish to the season. It was defined by a lot of rainfall and soil late soil moisture. Long summer saw very few extreme heats. Foggy mornings, so there's that that coastal effect coming in, and a, a relatively mild finish to the season. It doesn't say anything about volume. Well, it does. It says volume is looking to be ab- about average or a little less than average. So maybe maybe it was a lower yield that year. I don't know. All I know is the 19 was tough to find. Uh, I looked online with you know with Wine Access, several of the wine companies where you can order online and. They have Bialy 2019, other Zinfandel, but they don't have black chicken. They oh. don't have black chicken. Now there are other from you know there are other Zinfandels that they make, but uh, and I'm sure they're good too. 
Haven't ever had a bad Bialy wine. No, the truth. we didn't have. So. We really didn't have a bad one of those five. They and night, no, no. Again, if you, they were great. Yeah, we're talking degrees of really, really good. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, none of them were losers. 2019, yeah, it was good. But the 2020 was another hit. It, yeah, with, the, with this crowd, anyway. Yeah, and I think 20 was the one that had the early. That was one that really got into the uh, yes. Into- the harvest kicked off at the beginning of August, which is un- which I believe is a little early for harvest. No, time. that's real early. Yeah, yeah. Um, but mild temperatures uh, led to evenly developed clusters. It says low winter rainfall. You know, and sometimes when those roots have to dig a little deeper for moisture, that's good for the fruit yield mm-hmm. and good for the the juice. They, they, the they got to fight for it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 2020 there were wildfires that they were they were bad that was the wildfires and i think i think part of it was the fact that they they just went ahead with harvest maybe a little earlier than they i think that forced a lot of them yeah because they were they were going to pick it or lose it pick it or lose it yeah Yeah. and a lot of a lot of fruit was lost that year because of smoke taint and stuff like that and they just couldn't use it so but again a fine fine wine big bold zinfandel what you would think of when you when you put it in your mouth, you knew it was a Zinfandel. Yes, you did. And uh, great spice, great acid. That's big, what I always big, think long of. Finish. And that's what I always think of. It's a little. Your your Zins are a little spicy. Yeah. Not Syrah type. No, not spicy, Syrah spicy. But, but just it's got just a little Wang thing to it. The depth on some of the nose and palate on some of these wines was really fun because a lot of people were picking out these odd flavors and smells. Even things like these are going to sound terrible, but they weren't. But things like vinyl. One of the what, what's the one that had the really must? Was it the seventeen that had the really musty uh, old world nose to it, which yeah, I like. I've got Matt's sheet, and he's yeah. got some just weird. He's got beeswax. Yeah, beeswax. Wildflowers, wild yeah. purple, uh, mineral. He thought 17 was a little more yeah. mineralish, yeah. but he's just got spice on 20. And yeah. 20 and 18 were the two that got the most votes. One of them was like, uh, there was a floral note of, we wanted to say perfume, but it was almost like old ladies perfume that had kind of faded, you know, it was just because it was a hint. Yeah. It was not overpowering. It was nice, just actually. A, just a little bit. Just a little hint. So we had a lot of fun picking out stuff on, on the nose and the palate. So at the end of the day, we did uh, a little, took a little informal vote. And what, what were the results? Well, 18 and 20 tied. Yeah. yeah. So they were the, uh, they were the winners. And then we had uh, 19 had a, had a few votes, 17 had a couple votes. So 18 and 20 were definitely the, the, the top vote getters for yeah, sure. they were. Well, it was, it was a, a lot exercise. of fun. I, I great you know, exercise. And I think the whole group agreed that we want to try and do this again on a regular basis and maybe some different formats. But Bon Vivants, if you're wine lovers and you have the uh, – you know, you can do this with friends. Sure. Everybody buy a different vintage and come together and – well, the tricky part with it is getting getting the vertical part. I mean, go yeah. into your cellar yeah. and see if you've got what I would call a starter set. See if you've got even two, two or three that are yeah. you know a seventeen and eighteen, and then kind of work on yeah. see what you can find around it. Yeah, uh, or yeah, or go to your wine club and ask and say, hey, look, I'm wanting to do a vertical. Does somebody have a nineteen or a twenty or a twenty one or what it might be? And and pull some people together and, and give them a try. Well, your fine wine shops and, and fine spirit stores can help you with that, too, if, they, even if they don't have them on the shelves, because they do have, you know, they don't just have the current vintage. They have bottles that have been there for a while. Yep. And especially fine wine shops, or they can try and find it and order it for you. Right. The planning of it was about as much fun as anything for me. Well, and, the, you know, trying to herd that many cats well, yeah. and scheduling, and find, and scheduling finding yeah. finding a time that everybody could get together. That, yeah, especially in the busy. summertime is, yeah. is kind of a challenge. But that was the Biale Black Chicken Vertical Flight, ladies and gentlemen. Fun to be had by all. That was fun. If you're not familiar with Bialy Wines, I really, and that's B-I-A-L-E, and we'll put their links and everything up on the website, and we'll, so, uh, we have a lovely, lovely picture this time. We yes, have, we do. We have five, the, all five, all of five the, bottles. All five bottles. On there. We'll put a picture of the group up there, and I've got a little video if we can get it to download, and that kind of, <laughs> a lot of fun. All right. Well, we have a big announcement. We have an announcement. We, we have, have a little roll on the drum. We have, <laughs> I don't have one of those. No, no, on no. Uh, but I say we, that. Don't you remember a little? There's a birthday card. 
And I always I always say it that way because there was a birthday card that had for your birthday. Let's have a little roll on the drum, and you open it up, and it's like a hot roll sitting on a snare drum. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's corny, but you didn't right. write those. No, write those, yeah. So here's the deal: we are thrilled. Bon Vivants to tell you that we have a new sponsor for the podcast. We're very excited because as they say, you should believe in the things you're trying to sell. And I think it goes without saying that Keith and I, Keith and I believe in this product. Let me tell you, this product changed my approach to tequila. No need teasing anymore. Ladies and gentlemen, it is now time to announce the official sponsor of the three top picks is El Bandito Yankee Tequila. Yeah. So, you know, Brad, El Bandito Yankee is the official sponsor now of the We Like That Two Three Top Picks portion of the podcast. And uh, yeah, I think we should tell the Bon Vivants the three top reasons we like El Bandito We should. Yankee. We should. First of all, it's authentically made in a traditional method using only mature blue Weber agave. So, you know, it's the real stuff. Yeah. What's another reason we like it? Well, another reason we like it is the fact that it, it's pure. It tastes good. You've got a Blanco and you've got a Reposado. That's right. So, so whether you're mixing it in cocktails or drinking it straight and it's 100% pure. It is. And if you taste it, it is so clean and so crisp and, and it's You know what wonderful. they call that at El Bandito Yankee? It's, it's criminally, criminally smooth. smooth. Oh man. We call it dangerously smooth. Dangerously it, smooth. It, it goes down easy. So folks, look for El Bandito Yankee Tequila wherever you buy your fine spirits. And you won't break the bank either. No, no. This is a premium tequila at a palatable price point. That is right. All right. And thank you to El Bandito Yankee. El Bandito Yankee. We're going to have fun with this. Yes, we are. All right. In fact, I think we're going to have a drink of this after we get done recording. I think that's a great idea. I think we should. All right. And now on to the three top picks. We're going way off topic on the three top picks today. Well, kind of, uh, although we are seasonal. I think we're being great for the season. I agree. Absolutely great for the season. So tell the Bomb Vivants what we're talking about. Lieutenant Dan. Ice cream, Lieutenant Dan. Lieutenant I thought Dan, you could do Eddie Murphy. Lieutenant I got some ice cream. cream. I got some ice cream. You cannot have some. You cannot have some. Ice so cream. Everybody's got stories about ice cream. Ice cream makes you happy. makes you fun. Do you know anybody who doesn't like ice cream? Well, there are those that can't eat ice cream. But, you know, even now they have lactose intolerant ice cream. Type. I mean, I, I haven't tasted yep. it. I luckily don't suffer from that. But I don't either. Yeah, that's a difference though if you can't. Right. I bet if you can't, you still would like to. And it's degrees of how much you like ice cream. So today is three top picks, three top either ice cream flavors or ice cream experiences. I, I think them, that's the way we went. I did them both. Yeah, I, I did, did too. A, I did a ice cream cornucopia. That's a big, big, huge name. Cornucopia? The cornucopia I think it's of ice cream. Cornucopia. Cor- <laughs> we haven't even had tequila yet. Cornucopia. <laughs> cornucopia. <laughs> the fruit of the loom of ice cream. <laughs> That's a cornucopia, right? Keep your underwear out of no, it. No, with all that fruit spilling out, the label. I'm talking about the logo. <laughs> we, di- right. we digress. Yes, we do. Badly. That's okay. So here's this was sort of easy for me to start because I grew up in a family that has a rich tradition of homemade ice cream. And in my family, the recipe came down through my grandmother to my mother. And it's just a vanilla. I say just a vanilla ice cream recipe. It's not just a vanilla ice cream recipe. It's very rich, heavy in cream, that kind of thing. Whole milk, just what you would expect. But it's the way you make it in my family that's become tradition. Everybody in our family has a White Mountain ice cream freezer. Now, for years, it was mandatory that you hand-cranked your homemade ice cream. It's not a one-man job to do that. You need people to crank. You need people to load the salt and the ice into the freezer. When it gets to a certain firmness, you need someone to help hold the freezer itself down or it tips all over the place. So it's a it's kind of a team job. Well, after my girls grew up and went away from home. I didn't have anybody to help me anymore, but Janet loves ice cream. Janet's an ice cream freak. She always wants homemade ice cream. And I'm like, I can't. So she went out and bought an electric white mountain ice cream. freezer. Oh my goodness. My family disinherited me for a little while. You're out of the will until they tasted it. Well, and they can't tell a difference and neither can I, and I can stand in the comfort of my own kitchen 
put that thing in the kitchen sink and stand there and let that electric motor crank it while I load the ice and salt into it. And it is a thing of beauty. You know, you didn't have to tell them. I will never you go back. You could have, you could have like put it in the closet. And, you know, you could have been a closet, you know, electric. Well, I have nothing to hide. I'm not ashamed of it. It was still good. And, uh, you know, I still own my hand crank. I just don't use it anymore because it's too easy to do it with the electric. <laughs> now, I will say I have seen some electric ice cream makers that are not this quality and do not produce the kind of ice cream that this one does. But it's got a big motor. You know, If you don't have a big enough motor, it the, shuts thing, down the too thing easy. will just stop. Yeah, and it gets you just and have it, like soft serve soup. And, yeah, and it yeah. doesn't work. So, you got to have a, a big But motor. homemade ice cream. And the one thing that Janet and I did to mom and grandma's recipe – we put the normal amount of vanilla flavoring in it, but then I buy real whole vanilla beans and scrape them out and add real vanilla to it. And it's just a kick above the rest. I have had your yeah, yeah. ice cream and it's delicious. Yeah. It's so, homemade great. ice cream, my number one pick. When we were uh, growing up, you know, my father grew up in Bevere, Missouri, which is just a little bit over from Macon. Yeah. And downtown on the square yeah. was the Rexall drugstore oh yeah and down in the rexall drugstore they made a thing called the old maid and it was kind of like the dairy queen peanut butter but peanut buster parfait peanut buster parfait if you one of my say favorite it. dairy queen treats because it had um well it had the one thing in it you you don't care for but it had like marshmallow cream and then ice cream and then the chocolate syrup and then more marshmallow, and it, they just kind of layered it, and they yeah. put it in a great big Coca-Cola cup, one of yeah, those yeah. big glasses. One of those soda fountain glasses. Soda fountain yeah, glasses. Yeah. And so I don't know if anybody else calls it an old maid or not, but they called it an old maid, and we absolutely loved them. And anytime we went into town, we would stop there on the square, or we'd go to a movie or bowl or something up there. Yeah, so yeah. we would stop, and we would have an old maid in Macon, and that was truly one of the great – I bet. Ice cream deals. You were on a sugar buzz for the rest of the day. Did they put whipped cream and like the little chopped nuts on top? Yeah, they put oh. whipped, yeah, and a cherry, of course, of course, a cherry. But those little chopped nuts. Yeah, they put, I don't. Where, are those peanuts? Uh, I, they're better than peanuts. Maybe that, it's because they're chopped. They're good. I don't know. They could have been uh, pecans. They could have been chopped up pecans. Really little. Anyway. They were good, though. Little chopped nuts. Yeah, good. Yep, 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 yep. All right. So that was an old maid. Yeah, those old, those old soda fountain type ice creams are hard to beat. Yeah, and you know they had a uh, they had a soda fountain down at uh, Hall's Drugstore too. Yeah, and uh, yeah. occasionally they would whip up something that sure you East End Drug had one. too. East End yeah. Drug yeah. still has one. I think. Yeah, they do. They do. So, so my number two is a little off the it. I came up with this last minute because I, I thought of it. It is an ice cream experience, but it's sort of not. But in New York City, I can't remember the movie. There was a movie that was popular, and one of the scenes, it was a romantic comedy, and one of the scenes took place in a little ice cream shop or dessert shop in New York called Serendipity. And what they were famous for was what they called frozen hot chocolate. Now, this was a confection I guess it wasn't truly ice cream, but when you mixed it and froze it, it it ate like an ice cream or a malted or a like a Wendy's Frosty, you know, that kind of thing. But it, the flavor was so good. And you could actually buy these bowls. They had the old style ice cream uh, shop, you know, bowls that were heavy glass and stood on a pedestal. And But the frozen hot chocolate from Serendipity was one of the uh, m- memorable ice cream experiences that I go yeah well you, everything's great in new york city somebody somebody is going to have the greatest ice cream place there in, oh yeah in, in new york city just like every other kind of anything that you could eat in yeah. in, in new york and again this was really not i don't think it was officially ice cream but it was that frozen treat it fit into the fo- frozen treat category. So. We would be remiss if we didn't uh, wax historic and tell, of course, the Bon Vivants that the first waffle cone was actually uh, presented at the St. Louis World Fair. World's Fair. So That's correct. Our fair state uh, has uh, offered that historic uh, ice cream, the historic waffle cone. That's right. Yeah. There was a place when we were just in Colorado uh, in uh, Cripple Creek. That they make, yeah. they made their own waffle cones, and you walked into that place, and I got to tell you, 
those waffle cones smell so yeah, they smell great. Good. And you know, I'm not a big cone person, but if I'm going to have a cone, it's going to be either a sugar cone or a waffle cone. Yeah. Well, these yeah. were these were great. Yeah. All right. The second one, my um, <laughs> this is a little weird, but my my grandmother was a house mother uh, for a sorority. Up oh, really? In, up in Columbia? I don't think I knew that. Yeah. And so they had. Uh, he was an older gentleman that worked there. Yeah. Uh, at the house and did all the you know, the cleaning up and the work and sure. stuff. And he and I were buddies. And yeah. I was about four or five years old. And so I thought that the kitchen in the sorority house was one of the greatest places on earth. First of all, it had a milk machine. And I'm, oh, yeah, I'm still yeah. to this day. I mean, You're and, a big milk drinker. Oh, I'm a huge milk drinker. And it had chocolate and <sighs> vanilla. Chocolate and milk. So this guy's name was Jim, and I'd say, Mr. Jim, I said, what do we got? And they had one of those huge, huge freezers, you know. So he'd say, come here. And so I'd sit there, and he would grab my ankles, and he'd slide the thing open. (laughs) He'd slide open the freezer, and he'd pick me up and go, here we go. We're coming down. And it was, and you never knew exactly what was going to be in there because they changed it up. So it could be drumsticks. Yeah. Or it could be popsicles yeah, yeah. or uh, ice cream bars. Sure. The true joy of the thing was wondering what was going to be what down there. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, sometimes I did have two hands. Yeah. I'd grab one of each. Oh, and who, he'd say, who, who hey, hey, you? hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? You can't have more than one. I said, yeah. he always let yeah. me have two. Yeah. Yeah. So we won't tell your grandma about this. I said, yeah. all right, yeah. all right. So anyway. Oh, that's, what a cool memory. Oh, man. Yeah, and it was cold. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Say, he'd leave me down there a minute. I'd say, come on, it's cold. Well, you know, you, I thought you were going to say ice cream sandwiches. You know, there's there's – not well, better than a good had, ice cream sandwich. I still like good good ice cream sandwich, and they, and sometimes they had, you know, Grandma always knew because see, Grandma one of the the responsibilities of the house mother is they put together the menu, right? And right. so they do the ordering for all the food and stuff. And yeah, so yeah. Um, it'd be funny. I'd go ask her, and she said, "I don't know what's. I don't think there's anything in that freezer. I don't think there's anything in that freezer." <laughs> so we'd go back, and I always knew huh? there was something yeah, in there. Yeah, better, I knew yeah. there was something in there. Yeah, he was so yeah. cool. He was so nice to me. Well, I guess my I'm, before I do my third one, I'm going to do an honorable mention, and um, that is when Baskin Robbins kind of hit the scene. Mm-hmm. I was kind of a. You still think I'm a picky eater? I'm not, but. I'm a texture guy, and so certain textures I don't like. And at that time in my ice cream, I really didn't like anything like nuts or anything in my ice cream. But my sister turned me on to Baskin-Robbins pralines and cream, and it had those sugar candy-coated pecans and that rich, creamy ice cream with the caramel ribbons running through it. Yes. I was an immediate fan we talked about this last night yeah. because i was in new orleans yeah and had their pralines you know they right. you know they're kind of known for the sure pralines. sure they are and uh, so i've had their pralines and cream down there and you i mean you can only eat about you know a little right little right. it's so rich it'll just stroke you out because but right. it's really really good and so baskin robbins pralines and cream and then i would always get two dips i would get one of pralines and cream and one of fudge brownie. Ooh. So you had the best combination. Yeah. So, but, but that's an honorable mention. Baskin Robbins, I believe probably expanded my, uh, adventure into different flavors and textures and ice cream. And now I really prefer some sort of crunch element in my ice cream. Of I love Ro- Rocky Road. I mean, I was, I've, I've got down a few of the yeah. flavors that I love, but, but yeah, yeah, I love, I love putting, uh, I the marshmallow. You don't I do can't do the marshmallows. Uh, you can't taste the marshmallows in a rocket. It's a texture thing. I can taste them right here. <laughs> picky. I told you. Okay. My number three is, um, it's too easy, and I felt bad choosing it, but I just couldn't get away from it. Bon Vivant's here in Jefferson City. We have an established, iconic landmark called Central Dairy. And it has an ice cream counter, a, a very large ice cream shop. And they really don't make any money off of the ice cream shop. It's sort of a loss leader for get people to come in and see the place. And at one time, it was the number one tourist stop in Jefferson City because people traveling through Jefferson City from St. Louis and Kansas City on their way to and from the Lake of the Ozarks would stop there. Every Sunday afternoon, there is a line down the block. 
and to get in and out of this. Well, place. they still do. Yeah, they do. And you've got and you've got the school groups yes. that come to the capital. Yes, all and the stop. buses stop there. If, you is, know, if you're going by Central place. Bank and there's a bus out there, just say, "Well, it's not going to happen today." Yeah, yeah. that's just. Pretty but much it would it. be one thing if it was just a cool place, but the quality of the ice yes. cream is just outstanding. It is rich, creamy, and they have a variety of flavors. And the, and to their credit, they've been very creative over the years coming up with new flavors. And so Central Dairy is on my list. But the other reason it's on my list is because Central Dairy sits right across the highway from uh, what is now the Miller Performing Arts Center. And when we were in high school and we're, would do the uh, – spring musicals we would rehearse every afternoon after school at the what is now the miller performing arts center and if you weren't on stage for a while central run if you could time it <laughs> you could run over to central dairy and get a treat absolutely and make it back in time to make your entrance again or you get to be the person that collects the money you and goes over yeah. you know behind your head i'm looking at camelot and i was in camelot yeah. and i was merlin and i came on in the first three minutes oh you had lots I, of time and i died in the last three minutes <laughs> i could have gone and cooked and cooked an entire gourmet meal yeah, in you three had lots hours of time. it took me to get back but, but yeah. that was always a fun memory of making Central Dairy runs during rehearsals yep. when we were rehearsing uh, musicals in high school. Well, so. I've got a Central Honorable Mention, too. Now, yeah. one of the great days as you were a little kid in uh, in school was when the day that you got the little Central Dairy. <sighs> Dixie Cups. Dixie Cups. Yes. The little cups with the little With tab, the little wooden spoon. The little wooden spoon. That and the would little, always get splinters in your tongue. You would. They weren't, they weren't good. They, <laughs> they weren't good. They weren't yeah. good. And you'd had to pull that thing out yeah. of there. You know, my mom taught kindergarten for 30 some odd oh, years. Yeah. So she's only uh, opened about 500,000 of those yeah. things. Central but Dairy that was Dixie a, Cups. That was a yeah. big deal when, oh, yeah. when those, when those, little, treat. those little cups came out. A real treat. Yep. So oh, that yeah. was an honorable mention. Yeah. So Central Dairy gets on my list. Well, mine too. Yeah. Uh, for that. For I, that I, reason, I figured we'd double on that. Tiger tracks, man. Tiger tracks. Yeah. That's another. I'm a Jamoka almond fudge guy. I am too. Yeah. I am too. That's a good one. That's a good one too. My third one is the homage to the ice cream truck. When you were a little kid, nice call. You had this around here anyway. You had this truck. That played this obnoxious freaking little dingly 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 kind of jingle bell music or something. Yeah, like which that, was yeah. beloved by every child in the entire city. And I'm sure that whoever drove that truck at some point would start raving mad oh and God. and probably <laughs> it got you Kids know infirm. Would go crazy when they heard that <laughs> so, jingle. So when we lived we lived on Bolton Drive and the truck then had about a block to come because we were right at the top of the of the hill there, yeah. and we could see him coming. Yeah, and I just you know I think back on the poor people that drove those trucks because some little kid you know some kids out there and go, can you wait for just a minute? Oh Because yeah. I got to go in. I got to get some money from mom and dad. And maybe they did. Maybe they didn't, but that poor person had to sit there and wait, you know, yeah, for yeah. some little snot-nosed, you know, sweaty kid to run in, try to find a nickel or a dime for mom and dad so they could they could get the ice cream. Well, I, you know, the way kids used to run after and run up to that truck, I'm surprised there weren't more tragic accidents. <laughs> I mean, that's a very dark way to look at it, but it's like – because kids are crazy back then. Flattened feet. You know, yeah. you just run out and run wild in the streets yep. and – uh yeah, that's crazy. Okay, so Janet told me something the other day that some <laughs> some mother convinced her kids that when the bell on the ice cream truck was ringing, that meant they were out of ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> Is that not cruel? Man. Oh, my God. Oh they, were, my. they were never bugging her for change. Because like, oh, the bell's ringing. They're out of ice cream. Darn, we're too late. Wow. Well, I think that's a little cruel. Yeah, actually. the reverse of Pavlov's dog. Oh, no kidding. It, yeah. yeah. When it bell rings, you now hate ice cream. Well, oh, okay, mom. I'll tell you what. You know, ice cream or, or frozen yogurt or any of those frozen treats is something that I know uh, my wife and several of our family members just, they almost have to have it daily. Yep. And uh, I like it too. Yeah, it's it's good, especially in the summertime. Homemade ice cream. It's a summer thing. It is. Yeah. So, And, you know, it never hurts to have a little brownie or a little piece of chocolate cheat cake underneath it. 
ice cream pairs well with a lot of things, especially yeah. your wife's uh, sheet cake. Which, yeah, yeah. Which I yeah. haven't I haven't experienced for a while. Hint, hint. She's here taking pictures. So. <laughs> I know she is. Yeah, I, know. I knew she was a, within yeah. earshot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that wraps the three top picks. I think that wraps the three top picks. And thank you to El Bandito Yankee Tequila. El three top Bandito Yankee. sponsor. We're Official gonna, tequila. Uh, we're going to have some fun with we the are. El Bandito folks. And yeah, we'll we uh, we'll uh, try to get Jim Bob on the next time he's in town. Yes, and, sir. Uh, they're doing all kinds of stuff, Keith. Yes, they've they got are. a they've got an El Bandito Yankee uh, race car. Race team. They've got motorcycle racing. They've got a I think it's a stock car type race yep. race car. Yeah, they've got a lot of teams out there. They're sponsoring a lot of stuff. They're doing well. And Bobby Vance, if you don't see it on the shelves where you shop, ask for it. That's right. Because they're trying to get their distribution network um, expanded. So That's ask right. for it by name, El Bandito Yankee Tequila. What do we got coming up? Anything we want to talk about? Concerts. We, we already, got concerts. We, we got more wine tasting. We got some movies. We got, we got coming movies up. Coming we got up. a local Missouri movie being produced locally. We're gonna have I, some shows I, on. I alluded to that uh, that fantastic uh, cocktail party we went to at yes. the lake. That was a uh, absolutely wonderful experience for you and I as far as meeting yep. people, and yep. we met some cool folks. We're going to have some football guests on. We may have yep. a very important Famous coach, a very uh, important yes, previous uh, pro player that's uh, in we're, the area. We're looking we're at interview. looking at a couple other distilleries, yep. and then we yep. are also Bon Vivants looking at taking another couple of trips, short ones. We got trips coming up, perhaps over to uh, Kansas City. We'll let you know how. The, oh, I thought you were talking about our wine country trips. Oh, and we have wine country trips coming up. Yes, we do. We do. To two different parts Uh, of the nation. Two very, as a matter of fact, I just uh, sent today notes to a couple of them. Uh, We've reviewed some of their wines on this show. Yes. The, uh, the Weimer, uh, winery, uh, up in the Finger Lakes and, uh, the Frank wineries up in uh, Finger Lakes. And I'm going to go see Echo Lands out in Walla Walla. Echo Lands. Some other things that we probably reviewed also. Yes. So Brenda and I are heading up to Finger Lakes first of August and Keith is going in September. Completely, completely on the other side. Northwest. Uh, Willamette Valley, Walla Walla, Yakima, which will be Seattle, Portland, which will be wonderful. So we got, Lots of stuff to talk about. Stay tuned, Bombi Vance, and thank you for tuning in. Remember to like, share, give us a review, let us know what's going on. Yep. Very good. Till next time. Cheers. Cheers. We Like That Too is produced as a labor of love for the enjoyment of Bon Vivants everywhere. To get information about our bottles and links to our guests, go to our website, welikethatpodcast.com. Tune in to new episodes by subscribing on Apple, Spotify, and other popular streaming apps. Please remember to rate, review, and share. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at We Like That Podcast. So everybody, hey, remember the numbers. One bottle, two good friends, and three top picks because we We like like that too. We like that too. We like that too. We like that too We like that too